0: All right, let's say a prayer, and then we'll get rolling. Blessed are you, Lord God of Jacob, in whom we hope, you who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Keep us in faith, bring justice to the earth, give food to the hungry, open the eyes of the blind, and redeem all sinners. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... It's working. It's working. I'm ready. I'm going to turn on the... We're going to watch the video. I know. You think that this was all accidental. We just were building suspense for you here. Um, So, Mary, this is going to be on channel 5. So I say. What do I know? It worked before. That's That's all I can say. Thank you for your patience. That's really... Someday... Someday everything will work properly, right? Um, so now this is interesting. Um, th- tell me what your observations are about that. Anything stand out to you? I
1: like the contrast. Yeah. Between the two, and it just really
0: clarifies. Yeah. Yeah, that's really a helpful thing. Now, um, as, as he described it, what is the contrast between David and Saul? Like, what, how, how, would you, how would you put it? Pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this is so. Think about this. How does it strike you when he says, um, "So these are character studies, and um, we get a picture of Saul's character flaws." What does that? How does that strike you?
1: It makes me nervous.
0: Okay. Good. <laughs> Why does that make you nervous? No. You don't have any character flaws, Kathy. No, no. Yeah. So, but so what, kind of what I'm thinking about is, um, so in in like in literature, or if you're just thinking about a person, you might describe what kind of character flaws might a person have. Kind of pride might be one of them, right? You might say pride is a character flaw. What other kinds of character flaws could a person have? Jealousy. Jealousy, greed. Good. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, that is a, a peculiar thing about leadership. Whether, you know, whether it's on the scale of a, being a king of a country or even within, a, say, in a family, you know, um, or or in any setting in your business, whatever, um, it really serves to amplify that character flaw because, whatever the character flaw is, because you're, you're sort of forced into crises, right? You're sort of forced into situations where that would be exposed. Um, yeah, yeah. So now, um, so the things that you've described as character flaws, they all actually sound like vices, right? What you might classically call vices. Um, what's the relationship? So so, so is David vice-free? No. Clearly not, right? Um, so even though he may have humility as a counterpart to Saul's pride, right? So... That's not a vice that he suffers from, at least for much of the story. Um, he's not, he's not vice-free. So what's the difference? What's the difference between David and Saul? Jan.
2: He's willing to admit that he is a sinful human being. Yeah. Especially when Nathan comes to him and tells him the story about him. That's right. And... Um, he is willing
0: to ask for forgiveness where yeah. Saul was not. Right. So, so hold on to that. Pay attention to that. Um, you'll see that. So, in First Samuel, we're going to see how Saul is unwilling to do that. In Second Samuel, we see these, this example, several examples of David being willing to do that. Of willing, being willing to, when confronted with his sin, whether it's you know, his pride coming through or his greed or his lust, whatever it is, pick your vice, right? When he's confronted with that, his response is not to make an excuse, which is what Saul does time and again, but his response is to actually, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but this is really important. This is paradigmatic for the whole thing. So his response is not to, not even necessarily to say, um, God, forgive me, not even to plead for forgiveness. It's simply to acknowledge that he's done it. It's simply to say, yes. This is what he says to Nathan when Nathan confronts him about Bathsheba. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't say, please forgive me. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, that, so now let's, I want to distill this a little bit further even. So in Saul, we have an unwillingness to admit his, to acknowledge his sins. In David, we have this willingness to acknowledge his sins. Why? Would that be, the, why would that be the case? Krista? But, Pastor,
2: I think it took a while. Yeah. To uh, realize that That's right. It was not really right.
0: Yeah, it took a while. In fact, you might put it this way. It took God's word coming to him and crushing him, killing him, right? The God's convic- word of conviction, that's what it took. It, you know, he could have carried on. Think about, you know how this goes, right? You do something that you know is wrong and you... And you're, it's not discovered or you're like, you don't suffer consequences for it. And after time, that feeling just sort of fades away and then you're just sort of like, okay with it now. Um, this is where God's word is so important because God's word does not let you do that. It comes in, a, it it's like a hammer breaking a rock into pieces, right? Um, so yeah, so now that's important to note. So um, God's word comes to David not because David is like super well prepared to be humble, Right? As far, in that moment, before, before um, Nathan comes to David and com- accuses him of the sin, David's just contentedly living in this horrible state, right? He, you know, acting like it was, like he succeeded in covering everything up, right? Um, and in that, in that situation, like, he's no different than Saul, until God's word comes along. When God's word comes along, it does something to him. Now, this is what's interesting, because God's word coming to David does something different than what God's word does when it comes to Saul. And this really gets at the difference between David and Saul. So, why would Saul be unwilling to... Ad- why is anybody unwilling to admit, acknowledge their, their faults? Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so you might... Be, pride would be one of the things that you might admit. Say that again, Carol. Fear. Fear of what? One um, fear of being, of
2: being wrong.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, there's nothing worse than finding out that you were wrong. Fear that's terrible.
2: <laughs> I'll be wrong I trust in whatever. Yeah. And wrong.
0: Yeah, that's right. So he's afraid. Now... Um, Good. Any other reasons why somebody might be unwilling to admit that they've done something wrong? Fear of punishment. That's right. And that punishment can take lots of different shapes. So you might, you might have a healthy fear of God punishing you, right? Don't fear him who can destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy your body and soul in hell, right? Fear of God's punishment. But there are other punishments that are we might even fear more. So, for instance, just the embarrassment of a thing, right? I don't want to admit that I did that because I don't want to have to live with the fact that I did that. It's much more preferable for me to just pr- pretend like it didn't happen. You know, Marilyn. With the
3: dynasty could continue. He wanted. I know that's true of
2: Saul. Yeah.
0: He, yeah. His
2: son that,
0: there was a lot at stake. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron. I'm
2: just going further on uh, thinking
4: about image. Like it's interesting the contrast of the introduction of the image of Saul and the introduction. Yeah. Like we get David as this tiny little
0: boy. hmm Who's really like fresh you know? And we get Saul, as like handsome, tall, and ahead of the rest. Yeah. You know, so it's like living with that. Being ahead of the rest.
4: That's right. And living with Saul, well, i just a little guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I that's really cool. I, there, so there are certainly circumstances and factors like that that make. Um, it, means, it means that you have different things to struggle with, right? So David has to struggle with the fact that God has, promi- has anointed him to be the king, but he's not king yet, and he doesn't know when it's going to happen, right? Um, so, he is, so his struggle is believing that God is actually going to exalt the lowly like he has said he would. For Saul, it's quite the opposite. It's believing that um, he's, you know, he does, his perfection is not what's going to make God's kingdom sound. Barb.
2: kind of like
1: being in power. Yeah. Saul's in power right away, David. He doesn't really get bad until
0: he's in power. That's right. And it's like the power kind of goes, it, goes it does. Yeah. Yeah, I don't envy anybody who, I mean, you think about how easy it is for us to be critical of our civic, our civil rulers, right? That's a terrible job to have to do, right? Because it, it, it's very low. It, like yeah, right. And it, and, and, and it, it has the, all the, it has the appearance of the exercise of power, right? Here, you've been granted power. And and whether you intend to or not, the use the use of that power is always going to some appear to be abuse of that power, right? And then all of a sudden, it's e- it's very easy to slip into using that for your own your own gain. Yeah, Krista. I
2: thought it was wonderful that David um, realized that um, he couldn't he couldn't pray anymore. When, when, the time where where. He uh, had this uh, relationship
0: this. That's right. Yeah. So he's, he doesn't make a petition. He just says, yeah, yeah he, I'm a sinner. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's where, Na- so, that this moment where David, just to be clear, this moment where David acknowledges his sin is not yet, the story is not over. That is a, that's a, a, a resolution to the story that is unsatisfying because there is a moment of despair, right? I have sinned against the Lord. It's only when the word of absolution comes to him, the Lord also has put away your sin. That's when David is made whole, right? And this is this is key. So the, the you know the prerequisite really for David receiving that absolution is acknowledging his sin. But acknowledging his sin doesn't is not like some good work that he does. It's not a character feature, right? Um, it's his heart prepared by God to receive absolution, and that's a that's a critical thing here. Um, God is doing so much. God is active in all of these ways. By means of his word, sending his word to Saul, sending his word to David, Saul, like Pharaoh, hardens his heart when he hears God's word. So the truth comes to Saul, and instead of receiving the truth as a sign of God's mercy, because it's painful and he doesn't like it, he turns away from it. David endures the pain. Not, not because he's, like, particularly resilient, but because he's been prepared by God. Carol. In that way,
2: can you compare Saul and Eli?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm unsure about Eli still. I don't know how to take him. So what are the examples we have of Eli? I think
2: at the end when, when Eli tells Samuel yeah. to listen, yep. and then Samuel listens and
0: Years. That's right.
2: And he's
0: reluctant to tell Eli. Yep. He's had it, buddy. Yep, that's right. And Eli replies, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I can't tell whether that's, Let it be to me according to your word or whatever. He's going to do whatever he wants. I can't tell. It's really hard to tell.
2: <laughs> that is, uh...
0: It's better than the alternative. <laughs> yes. It's not a
2: totally
0: Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Nancy.
2: Well, there's always going to be
4: trouble in Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there were consequences. There are consequences. And this is one of the other magnificent, magnificent things about David. He's exemplary for us. And it, w- it should be our prayer that we can handle the, the Lord's rebuke the way that he has. So the consequences are devastating. Later he um, Takes a census of the people when he's not supposed to, and the punishment is that his child is going to die, right? And that happens with Bathsheba too, right? The child is going to die, yeah. <sighs> um, that's that's pretty serious consequences, you know. Um, but he, but the, and this is where his petitions in the Psalms are so um, so rich and so helpful because. Even as he's enduring, he says, he says to God, um, in Psalm six, he says, "Discipline me, not according to your wrath, but according to your mercy." Right? So he can. So he's praying, knowing that God is going to discipline him. He's praying that it will be for his eternal good and not for his eternal judgment. That requires just an incredible measure of the Holy Spirit. I mean, to say that, to be able to see that, and say that. Um, um, that God means what's best and this, this discipline is for his good. We are way far afield here, though. We're still in First Samuel chapter 4, so let's do this. we got to hear this story. Do you, have any other, do you have any questions? Any other questions? Um, so we had this intro, chapters 1 through 3, and we've been introduced to Samuel, and now we've got Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. I'm just going to start reading and then we'll talk about it. Okay? Um, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. The word of Samuel came to all Israel. Scene change. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so things are going south real fast. Tell me, uh, give me your reactions to that. Yeah, Leah. Yeah.
3: Is there own instead of um, giving it a type of praise and honor? It's not like you're bringing it to say, I want to protect this and make sure that it's yeah. okay in this time. are more of like, hey, why don't we bring that in and maybe it'll protect us. That's right. Really to see God as a
0: tool. That's right. And notice how they substitute the Ark for God, right? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us. That it may save us. The Ark. Right? There's all kinds of echoes. You Pay attention to this and see if you can spot them. Echoes of the Exodus in here. So what, does this remind you of anything during the golden, calf. the golden calf? That's right. Moses is on the mountain. We don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, make us gods out of gold. They make gods out of gold. And what does Aaron say about them? Do you know? He says, Exodus 32. I want to get his words right because they are Something. Um, 32 verse 4, He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Right? (laughs) Ah. These are your gods, right? And so it's the same thing they're doing with the ark right here. You have the Lord and they ask the good question. Why has the Lord defeated us here today? Right? They understand that when you lose a battle and you're God's people it's not because the army was too strong for God, right? That the Lord did this. But their response is, let's fashion a God in our own, you know, in our own likeness. Jan.
2: Well, my first thought as I was reading this this morning was, why didn't Samuel pray before the battle?
0: That's a good question.
2: I'm like, this is the prophet. He should, he's the one who's leading the people at this point. I mean, we don't Eli's still there, obviously, but
0: Eli's not working. I picture Samuel standing standing off to the side saying, should have have talked to me first. (laughs) I I could have told you how this was going to go, right? Um, Yeah, and that's that's the neglect of God's prophets and the abuse of them. In fact, that's part of the reason why the people of Israel suffer, so this is, has to do with their hardening, right? So um, I think so often about the story of John the Baptist and Herod. He's got John the Baptist preaching to him, telling him exactly—he's telling him the truth—and he puts him to death because he doesn't want to hear it, essentially, right? Or his wife doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. Um, right. Other observations. Yeah, Aaron. Just
4: thinking about the, when they're in the wilderness and they're all sick.
0: Yes. Yeah.
4: And you feel, and you know, you're picturing like, what, you know, what are these people thinking to But there's so many instances where God does use something
0: weird, mm-hmm.
4: or not. Not that the ark is as weird, but it's like something tangible.
0: Yeah.
4: Where you know, go blow your trumpets on the walls, gonna fall down. what is out. Right. But but it's always like God giving you these crazy instructions. Yeah not you initiating the That's right. Yes, but, then, but then it's sort of like they're trying to recreate it. You know, like, well, that works that
0: time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so,
4: like, the whole point of, like, hearing and responding. Right. Doing versus, like, just the doing.
0: Yeah. And they t- this, so they take, this is one way to talk about sin, right? They take something good God has given them and they, commandeer it and use it for their own purposes. This happens with, I think it's in Judges maybe, there's a, some, the, an ephod that's used for prophesying and it works well and then they take the ephod and they start worshipping the ephod. They set it up next to their household. Something, something like that. Something ridiculous like that. Where they take this good thing that God has given them and they just commandeer it. Right? Yeah, Carol. Well, when I was reading
3: this, I was thinking of the David
2: of the ark I
0: it back to yeah.
2: and the one man that, you know,
0: attempted The poor fella, yeah.
2: The poor guy, and he was dead. He was dead. <laughs> Either people that brought the Ark at least had...
0: Well, they had poles, you know, long poles that you were the right way to carry it.
2: Only certain people could carry it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, isn't this interesting? The, the, that they observe these ritual rules, right? So spare, they don't get struck from by, from heaven with lightning because they're following whatever um, ritualistic guidelines God has given them. But that's a that's a. People honoring him with his, his, their lips, but not with their hearts, right? I that
2: Eli's wonderful sons were there.
0: They were yes, and this is why. So my, my note in the margin is this: this episode right here, verses one through four. This is the un, this is the worthlessness of Hophni and Phineas writ large. This is Israel being just like Hophni and Phineas, right? Because what do they do? They take the sacrifices and they take them for their own purposes yeah you know
2: nothing good can happen if the two of them are there
0: yeah. that's right they are i mean it's like it's like in a it's like in a movie uh, this first and second Samuel is like a movie, so there are these light motifs that appear like it's you hear Darth Vader's theme and you know that Darth Vader's there right <laughs> same thing yeah um or you the lighting changes in the movie and you know something's going to happen same thing, Hoffney and Phineas not going to be good okay um so Just think about this. Um, They ask this question, why has the Lord defeated us? What should should the next thing they say be, do you suppose? What have we done, done, right? What have we done? Yep. We must have done something. That would be at least a a good start. Now, they might be wrong if they say that, like Job's friends were wrong, right? But the appropriate posture to anything that God does to you is humility and penitence, right? Um, even if we've got nothing specific that we've done, clearly God is doing something here that we shouldn't try and circum circumvent, right? So Abraham, Sarah's not having a baby, probably shouldn't take Hagar as your wife, right? Um, taking things into your own hands. Okay, let's go on. Verse 5. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Any questions? We should keep going. We should keep rolling. Pause pause me if you have any anything you want to ask or say. Just observe, first of all, though, um, the Ark comes into the Israelite camp and they shout. They're excited. They're looking forward to what God is gonna do for them, or the Ark is gonna do for them. Okay? So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh. Pause for a second. We should look at the map. Just look at the map real quick. Um, So you'll see way up at the top, or the top right, where the red line is, there's Shiloh. And at one end, at the right end of the line, and then there's Ebenezer at the left end of the line. That's where they line up against the Philistines. The Philistines were at Aphek, okay? Um, just that, Just to put things in perspective there, okay? He came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. So that sounds pretty good, right? Eli knows that something is amiss, although as has been his pattern with his sons, He's got no fortitude. He's got no backbone, right? He's not saying, he's not like, you would think maybe he could try and stop them or something, you know? At least go down trying. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? So here's, the, here's another outcry, another shouting. Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat By the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. So it's just, this is hard, this is not captured well in the English, but the the, um, guy comes and he says these four things Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great defeat among the people, and your sons are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. So it's like this one thing piling on top of the other. And, 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 and the Ark has been captured. And it's at the mention of the Ark that Eli dies. Okay, what are your observations?
2: Sounds like stink. Everything's a catch of the ark
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, he knows what that means. Yeah? Yeah, Jan.
2: Well, and it's interesting that the Philistines see this as a power. They see the ark as a power. In <laughs> the next chapter, they find out what that power entails. That's right. But they recognize... Something special about this box
0: with the chimney on the top. Yeah, yeah. So, this is an interesting thing about, that has to do with um, God suffering reproach among the nations. So, in um, Ezekiel, God talks about rescuing his people from exile, and he says this startling thing. He says, Not for your sake am I going to rescue you, am I going to defeat your captors. Not for your sake but for my name's sake, right? Because you caused my name to become a reproach among the nations, right? You acted like you weren't my people, and you made everybody think that I'm a miserable God because you acted like terrible people, right? Same thing is happening right here. What do the Philistines think about this God who defeated the Egyptians? What do they think about him? He's puny. He's weak. We can, we can take him, right? Um, our God is clearly stronger than their God, right? We've got the box, <laughs> We've got him, we've, we, they feel like they've succeeded. And that is, so, it, you know, in order to, in order to sort of uh, reprimand his people, to rebuke his people, God is willing to, pay attention to this, suffer this kind of false reproach, right? He's willing to suffer being carried off into the hands of wicked men in order to show his people that they're, that they're being unrighteous, that th- show them their wickedness. Jan? It's the same thing with Jesus and the evil spirits
2: who recognize him yeah. as yeah right who he is right they declare he is the Christ
0: yeah yeah that's good it, you have know, got the same kind of
2: interest in the New
0: Testament. isn't it startling that it's only it's only God's people who don't recognize him right that <laughs> who don't who aren't paying attention who don't attend to how you know how how what a, what a gift they have right. Let's keep going here. let's finish chapter four. Now, verse 19, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, "Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son." But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, "The glory has departed from Israel." Because the, Ark of the God uh, the Ark of God had been captured, and because of her father in law and her husband, and she said, "The glory has departed from Israel, for the Ark of God has been captured so it's you know it really is just stunning writing because you've got this battle scene, and then we pan back to Eli and he falls over and then we pan to this Seen in the hospital room where she's giving birth, right? And then um, her, her, you know, her dying words are, the glory has departed. We call him Ichabod. Chavod is the glory. That's the glory. That's the word for what it, what happens when God descends and sits on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's his, his glory, his chavod, his weightiness comes down and sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And she observes that with the Ark gone, the glory has departed. Now, is she right? What do you think?
2: Yeah, she's right. Well, God no longer was in the tabernacle if the... I was gone, because that's where... He
0: didn't have anywhere to sit anymore.
2: That's right. Yeah. That's where God... Was. Right. He could stand.
0: He could stand. Yeah, that's right.
3: Well, I don't think the glory is part of that because of God? Because of
0: Yeah, right.
3: But um, I think that's more what she's probably right in the, right, but in the less sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think so. I think that um you could you could think of it purely in this symbolic way and you'd miss the point. Just like they thought that they had the, the ark in this symbolic way they had they had managed to grasp a God and to leverage him, um the glory the the glory departed long ago when they be when they became unfaithful. The left,
3: because
0: the glory was left. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, Krista. In
2: fact, she, she
0: it didn't see Samuel this way. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's paying attention to Samuel right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. The, um, chapter 5. We'll, do, we'll get through Chapter 5 and then uh, maybe we'll, uh, yeah, okay. Chapter 5. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So you can see it traveling on that map. There. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. You saw he was kind of like a fishy serpenty god, right? With a tail, fish tail, and scales. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So this is like this is like Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff, right? <laughs> This, that, is, that is what happens. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Now, there's something to, just something thematic to observe that starts right here. Actually, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. God gives a promise about the crushing of the serpent's head, right? And here we see this come up again and again in the book of Samuel. Here, Dagon is this serpentine idol, and his his head is severed, right? Um, Later, we have Goliath clad in scaly armor, and his head is severed, right? So here we have, playing out, you know, in real time, God crushing all of these... And and you know crushing the heads of all of these serpentine, uh, wicked instances of wickedness. But notice his hands are also fallen off too. But the but uh, you also learn something about the Philistines because what, what are their what is their response to seeing their god, dismembered? What are they? What's their reaction? <laughs> fear, fear. And what kind of a fear is it? Um, what are they not going to do anymore? They're not going to walk there anymore. It's pretty superstitious, right? This is this place is a little bit strange. We're going to just stay away from it, right? They are, and that you know governs how they have such like a they have a really shallow sense of what's going on. We see that. We see that um, later when they send the ark back, they're like, we don't really know. We can't tell what's actually happening here. It's, maybe this is a coincidence. Maybe God's real. Maybe he's not. We're going to test it. We're going to test it out. That gets really interesting. Um, But now, Dagon's got his hands severed. Verse 6, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. So he is already, having been humiliated, God is now vindicating himself, right? The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the Ark of God God to Ekron. But as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the Ark of the the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the Ark of the God of Israel, and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people." For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. It's a bit like, um, you could picture this is what it was like as Satan thought that he had captured Jesus on the cross. And then the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him, and he realized what was happening um, as Jesus descends into hell and, and, you know, has bound the strong man. Um, God will be vindicated. He's going to suffer humiliation, but he will be vindicated. Um, and is not going to, it's not, you know, some some fishy God is not going to uh, win the day. It's
3: kind of like that God is saying, Israel like I'm going to have this ark, protect it, all this people, we are going to fight for it. And it just kind of easily slips out of their hands. Yeah, um, And so it's like God is saying, Let me handle this myself. You guys aren't doing what I want to do. You're not handling it. Right. I don't even need somebody to fight and do this. I'm going to fight for myself. Yeah. Um, It's like just showing the power of God compared to this tens of thousands of Israelites fighting. That's right. That's nothing compared to God's
0: power. Yeah. Yeah. So they think that they can drive the ark around, decide where it's going to go. And then as as soon as they stop doing that, it goes where it will. Right? It goes where God sends it to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good observation.
1: Doesn't that reinforce their belief that God is, like, only with the covenant?
0: What do you mean by that? Um, that God is only with the... Uh,
1: well, like, they... They thought that if they moved... At the beginning, they
0: thought they moved the covenant and that would protect yeah, them. Yeah, right, the right,
1: right, right. So as they move they see big, the bad things happening wherever the covenant goes. Yeah. So, is the feeling that um, God must only be in that covenant because wherever it goes, that's what
0: the problem is. Right. So, there is a bit of irony there, right? Like, they thought that when they would put God's, that the, you know, when they would put the ark to, to use, um, it would work. And then when they, when it gets taken from their hands, then it's working, right? Um, it's working in apparently the way that they wanted it to work. The key is, and this is what they failed to understand, is that, the the Ark is only um, meaningful because God has attached his promise to it. As he said, here, this is where I'm going to come to you in mercy. right? This is not like some token of power. This is not like, um, you know, some, you know, I don't know what the... the what, what kind of a term it would be, like a talisman that you can just walk around and apply to things, right? Like, uh, or like a crucifix that you could, you know, you can just scatter the darkness by just holding out a crucifix. It's not like that, right? It's only insofar as God has attached his promise to it, right? Um, so if you don't believe that promise, if you don't believe that that's what God is there to do, to be merciful, then it's not doing you any good. In fact, it works the opposite way. And that has to, your, your observation is just right, that it actually, it might even serve in their minds to reinforce that, Mistaken notion, and that's part of the point. They need to g- perhaps grow harder still before they are softened, right? Yeah. Erin. I
4: never formed this into a clear question, now, but it's just me needing think of like, crossing themselves. Yeah. Because I grew up seeing people cross themselves and being like, oh, my eye. Yeah. Oh, brother. Like, this guy thinks he's going to hit a home run. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> is that related?
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, right, so anything. Take anything take anything good that God gives you. If you um, separate it from faith, if you remove trusting in God's mercy from that, if you begin to trust in the thing itself instead of God, um, then it becomes the opposite of what God intended it for, right? So what is, why do we make the sign of the cross? To remind ourselves of our baptism, right? To take us straight back to the place where God first showed us mercy. But if it becomes this kind of thing where you're like, um, it's going to guarantee that I get a home run, or what have you. Then no, it's it's actually harmful to you. Yeah. So I mean, every, and that's that's really important to note. You know, these things, things like um, it's just like the ark in that way. You know, God has attached wonderful promises to the cross, and we hold that cross before our eyes all the time. Um, but we ought to know that we are prone to those sorts of things. Yeah. Jan.
2: For the Philistines, this became a political thing in terms of NIMBY, not in my backyard. Yeah. Don't put this thing in my backyard. I mean, you see it going from one town to the next. Yeah. And I think it didn't they didn't look at it anymore as something other than get the thing out of here.
0: Right. They had they were just so shallow. Right? The Philistines...
2: At that point, it became political.
0: Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Leah.
3: It seems like, you know, when God is acting upon something, it's when really to power in it. But when we try to think as power in ourselves, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work the way we want. But thinking of, like, in Hebrews, um, the, the author, right, addresses comparison between Moses and Jesus. He's talking about how... Um, leaders appointed by men are always going to fall short, basically. Yeah. But Jesus, uh, appointed by God as a high priest,
0: yeah. that's where the power tree is. Right.
3: Um, and he keeps on like, giving us examples of men appointed by men or acting up power as forced them by men. It's it keeps on whether it's the ark or um, any of these leaders. We're yeah. even seeing Samuel. It's the same thing over and over again. It's almost like all this is happening to lead up to show that when Jesus is here, what a contrast he is to all these other idols or leaders or gods we've had before.
0: That's right. And, and the, the people besides Jesus who are given accolades in Hebrews are the people who have faith, people who have trusted that, um, you know, God can raise the dead, that God can bring back Isaac from the dead, that God will bring them to a promised land, that God will fight for them. Um, it, it, that's the stories of the, the faithful people and judges, you know, in the midst of this world that is just going to pot, right? There are people who trust that God is going to do what he says. Um, and that, so, you know, that defines the character of faith, right? Because Christ is at the center. If, um, and Christ comes to us in all of these miraculous ways, all of these really meaningful ways, um, Giving us, giving the people of Israel the Ark of the Covenant, giving them the temple, giving them sacrifices, giving them um, all of these institutions, the priesthood, so that they could know, so that they could be constantly reminded and forgiven and led in God's way, right, led in the way of life. And they, it's a, this is, like, fundamental to our um, fallen human nature is the capacity that we have to take those good things, those best things, and just st- invert them, Right? Um, and what that is doing is taking Christ out of the center of them, right? Yeah, Barb.
2: Why wouldn't the Philistines, if they saw that their God was following the Lord, why didn't they take God as their new
0: God? Good question. Yeah. I've, I wrote down that same question. I said, what, when, they, when they realize that they're up against the God, of, the God who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, even. Back then, right? But, but as they're lining up in battle, and they hear the cry, the shouts, why don't you surrender? <laughs> why don't you say, okay, we can't handle this. Um, it's because they're, they're unbelievers too. You know? Got their God. They've got their gun. That's right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it, this is the thing. You have, you have so many options. You have so many options. Um, when, you're, when you're confronted with God coming at you, um, you can fight him. You can say, I, the, he looks a lot bigger than me, but... I'm going to I'm going to go down swinging, right? Which is kind of what they have in mind. You could turn and run, which is like say Jonah, right? You could turn and run the other way. Um, the only salutary response is to like Peter will do on su- on Sunday, drop to your knees and say I'm a sinful I'm a sinful person. Um, that's throwing yourself on the mercy of God. And the Philistines, you know, they don't have any sense of God of God's mercy, right? Um yeah, so they're they're afraid. Yeah, Nancy. I not thought about it before,
2: but that
4: really is kind of ironic. I mean, because these guys were sort of territorial and thought this is mine, but that didn't stop the Israelites from worshiping Moloch and all these other
0: <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Ah, they are just so awful, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I mean everybody else understands that <laughs> your God is your God. <laughs> ah, yeah. That's right. Good. Okay. Yeah. We've kind of talked about this in some
1: Sunday Bible study and that I guess it's possible to turn uh, the name of God in in the name of Jesus as a tool. Yeah, right. Prayer, like I'm I am going to change this circumstance by invoking the magic word. Yes. Name and
0: then like, right It's
1: done now. yep i said the
0: think of it, you it's exact it's it's just like the ark right really a
1: really a line across a lot.
0: god has given yeah so what doing. yeah yeah that's that's um, a a great comment because the name the name of jesus is just like the ark it's something that God has given you that's right I'm going to march it out into battle, and why, why is God, why has God destroyed us in battle? Oh, I have an idea I'll march his name out there and see what happens yeah um, yeah it's easy for that to happen yeah Aaron.
4: Something I'm really wrestling with is like the appropriate balance of, of the scriptures actually not being the thing. Yeah, right. The scriptures are God's word, but I feel like I, I'm having a really hard time changing my view
2: of it being like a gift and not just like me grabbing hold of
4: it. Okay, do my daily, you know, the years of like, gotta do your daily Devo in order to be. Growing. Yeah. And even like I, I, the circles I to run in I get asked like, so what how what do you do for your daily deportion? Like,
0: these questions are I I yeah. That's super helpful to remember that prayer and Bible study are not it's not you. <laughs> totally. That's right. And and in in the case of both prayer and bible study, one way to one way to help with that is to think that it's not you doing something is God doing something to you, so when you study the scriptures it 's not you like um, building an arsenal of proof texts that you can apply in any different situation that you might need, but it 's god 's God coming to you in this gift and working on you, doing something to you um, and it 's true that, like Paul says in ephesians you're equi- you 're being equipped you 're not equipping yourself, you are being equipped by God when you do these when you do these things, and that that posture. Um, then makes the name salutary. It makes the scriptures salutary, um, and and you know it's it's an r- important reason for us to be sort of on guard to, to pay attention to be to know what we're doing. You know, yeah, Kathy. Would, would it be accurate to say you
1: know God builds the house? Right? God builds the house. That's good. He builds the house. Yes. And I. Yeah. Is it, is it right, I mean, Mother Teresa said she was the pencil in the hand of God, and that's yeah.
0: That sounds like a great thing to remember. Yeah. Yeah, if you can think of yourself as an instrument, yeah. God's, God's instrument, that changes everything, right?
1: Because well, yeah, I'm just going to lie there until he picks me up and does something.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And there are certain things that that adhere to being an instrument, like, that you're, reading the scriptures and that you're praying. But it's not because, like, you're some master. It's because you're... He, that's how he puts you to use. Yeah. Leah. What's
3: interesting interesting, you said the question earlier about, like, Eli, was he saying in faith, like, hey, just let it happen, or was he kind of like, all right, just... I think maybe, like, it's maybe a little bit... Could be. It's kind of like, as you're like, well... And I why am I reading the scripture? Sometimes I guess it's in full faith. Yep. Yeah. And even if it's in full faith, you're still kind of maybe hoping on the side that by doing this it's gonna help you out. I, I don't think yeah. it's ever that
0: clear. No, you're right. Why,
3: like I, I think that our intentions are always mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, like how often do you, you're like and maybe sometimes you go with a bad intention? but it leads you it got acts on it the way that kind of straightens it out that's right and then maybe other times it's the reverse I don't know I, I think that it's maybe Eli's reaction is ambivalent it could be it's
0: both yeah
3: and that's kind of the way we use the cross maybe it's still okay to try to do that because maybe it'll lead you to the right place yeah but it's I don't know it's kind of a constant battle in.
0: I think so yeah I think you're right um, yeah Jody.
1: yeah and he still says pray even if you don't want
0: yeah. to
1: put yourself in that position for
0: me to for him to work on me that's right even though
1: yeah i'm not in any frame of mind or i'm not you know but it's what i should do in order to allow allow myself to be you
0: that's right and that that's so even if you don't want to that's a great way to put it because what is that what's that saying it's saying i know that god's doing something bigger here than i could ever have pictured same thing with making this of the cross right so you know if I'm going to do it mindlessly, um, that's still, that's still um, at least I'm saying, by putting myself in a place where I'm remembering, you know, have an opportunity to remember my baptism, habitually, that's a pretty good thing, you know? Like, and, and to be called to repentance, right? Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's the discipline of the Christian life, right? Um, the, the rhythm and the habit and the discipline are there so that you um, when you sort of lose when you when you lose focus or when you stop paying attention this is what the liturgy does for you when you lose focus or you stop paying attention and you're just mouthing the words when you come to it's still going you're, you're there you're back in it right
1: Yeah. there's studies that have been done in, that i've read about that are very interesting that the prisoners of war that are put into solitary confinement um, Literally, the only ones that have gotten out without being destroyed mentally, you know, the people that were strong Christians and the fact that they would recite Scripture sure. and keep them self sane by reciting the Lord's prayer, yeah. or prayers that they learned as a child, or yeah. you know, very basic um, things. They didn't have to know a lot, but just to recite that and that kept them sane. Yeah. Get out.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. It just amazes me that, you know. What other words could do that for you, right? A nice nursery rhyme that you knew as a kid? That's not going to help, right? Um, and that, t- that gets to the point that these are not just words, right? It's not just, it's not just emotion, but it's the cross, right? The, the instrument of your salvation. Um, these things are imbued with power because God has attached his, uh, his, has attached his promises to them. Um, So they're words that actually accomplish something. Yeah. Great. We should probably go. (laughs) If you would like, you can look at those pictures that I gave you. Um, that's That's a little boy Samuel. And then that's the ark getting commandeered or just stolen, stolen from the people of Israel. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray.